Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 175. Getting up there. Uh, today's uh, episode is going to be after a brief uh, G update. Uh, a discussion about one of the problems that sometimes the hunting dog and the retriever people have in their dog training. And so I'm going to talk about that. But first I'm going to talk about, kind of bring everybody up to date. So the audiobook is completed and submitted to uh, and the Amazon Audible people. They have to do their checks to make sure all the criteria is met. So as soon as they give me the thumbs up or I'll say, oh no, you have to do something different. Um, that will be available. I will post a link uh, for that and a link for the website on which the podcast, the Audible book, and the book, the actual hard copy book is all for sale on my website uh, because I talk about it, but there's like nobody can find it. So <laughs> I will put a link on the show notes uh, on this stuff so that people can, if they're interested, uh, they can see you know, what it is and all that. So 17 and a half hours the book is on Audible. So if you're driving um, to Argentina or something, it, you know, you might give it a try. It might cover some of the distance. That's a long, I know because I recorded 17 and a half hours of it. So uh, I guess there's a lot of words in there. That That's that's coming. So the G update. And I read, I was reading some of the Apple reviews because I don't have time you know my life has kind of turned upside down here this year and so I haven't had time for some of the detail things that I really uh, I really enjoy doing and I was looking at some of uh, the comments and reviews and stuff on the Apple podcast and some people uh, are enjoying the, the the G updates and I wasn't sure you know how that was going over but if people do get something out of it I'm, I'm happy about that and I'll just keep doing it as long as we're making progress and things are changing uh, before her competitive season starts. But we have been doing uh, blinds almost every day. Uh, either a, Now I can do them with the marks, which is a big step forward. I, I like to go out and do three or four or five every day. Not the same place, not the same kind, not the same factors in them. You know, it can't be just a boring, boring thing, but they can't be too difficult or too challenging like they would be for a more finished dog because she's still trying to understand what this blind thing is. And her sister is right there with her. <clears throat> and frankly, she's doing really well. Man, she runs at like Mach 5 on those things. So she's going to be a little style monger. <clears throat> and they're both doing really well. And I've got a couple other dogs that I'm working along at that same thing. So by doing it, you know, dogs learn through meaningful repetition. And so when we do it, it becomes something with which they're very comfortable. And that's working real well with her. All of them. They all have different idiosyncrasies and things they do. Uh, I went out and did six of them today. And G would do really well going to the right and not to the left back. So <laughs> that was today. It wasn't that way before. So I don't know what happens in those little dog minds. But whatever it is, it's not the end of the world. So I, I would caution people when you're transitioning a dog off the tee and off pattern blinds and you, you're beginning to teach them cold blinds, which is an unfathomable thought, thought for them at that point. They don't have a clue. And just because you have them doing, going on back on the tee and stopping and taking your casts, 
does not mean, again, there's no, there's no context for that. And so they don't have any clue. All of a sudden, all the rules are different. So you take what you get, and by doing them, not same place again, if you just go repeat the same thing, you're just running pattern blinds and you're teaching them, you always go back to the same place. You don't want to do that. But by doing a lot of blinds frequently, they become second nature and not something that they don't understand or have a context for. So that's what I'm doing, a zillion, zillion blinds. And now I can handle on marks because she's just used to being handled. So that's, that's really good. Her little idiosyncrasies, and most dogs have them, is when she starts to get either kind of tired of it or kind of confused, she doesn't turn around and face me totally. That's kind of her way of saying, I, I kind of wish this would stop. And I, I, I can't let that happen. I have to make sure by you know, bringing her in just a couple steps so she's facing me, I have to make sure that she learns every time you stop, you turn around and you look at me. So that's one of her little things that she does. Her sister doesn't. She does. Uh, the other thing is she'll get a, an idea in her head about a direction. And on all four blinds, she will only want to do, really want to cast one way. And she'll look at me and I'll move. I'll exaggerate my movement and I'll give the cast. And I, you can just see her going, yeah, but I really want to go this other way. So that's something that's going to have to, I'm not going to smash out of her head because it's a confusion-based thing. And so I'm just going to be careful, move closer, make sure that she understands when I throw up an arm on the left, we go some direction leftwise. And if I throw one up on the right, we go some direction rightwise. So that's where we are now. Still, she points, still not holding that point for me. Um, so I'm still kind of you know, mulling over some of the wool stuff that I'm doing on that. That's not where I want it to be. Just so you guys know, even with a, a super great pointing dog and somebody who's, you know, done a couple dogs this way, man, sometimes you just run into things that are confusing. I don't let it dishearten me or bother me. I know I'm just, it's going to get figured out and I don't get too upset. If I did, it would probably make it worse. So that's where we are with G. The topic I want to talk about today is one that's kind of loomed up in my world here this year. And then also for Art, I hope he's listening to this, who brings up this topic to talk about, is mouth problems. Uh, mouth problems with dogs. And people, when they hear that, it might mean different things to them. Uh, mouth problems are when a dog is very hard mouthed, kind of bone crunching kind of stuff, or they mouth a lot, or they only hang on to three feathers and the rest drags on the ground, or they don't release a bird, or they try to eat a bird, <laughs> or they just keep setting things down instead of bringing them in. So there's a lot of, of manifestations of a mouth issue. And I am by no means a reigning expert in this topic. I personally, in dogs that I've trained, have probably had it a total of three or four times. Um, <clears throat> but some dogs that I've had have gone on with other people and then had a few problems. And, and so it's not like I, I know this one well. But one of the I, what I want to offer people is some perspectives on it and some thoughts about the origination of the problem. That's probably the, the most important part of this. So the thing that probably makes people a better trainer 
and, and the very best trainers out there aren't the best because they have all the answers. Usually what it is is because they can step back, go, you know, look at what they've got, look at what, what, what goes into the whole process of training and knows where to go and begin the, the problem shooting, the troubleshooting part of this. That's probably something, if you're going to solve a problem, it's the only way I know how to solve any problem, any, any problem is you don't just go right at it. You don't look at the symptom and then start smearing a cure on it. You have to look at the symptom and go, what is this a symptom of? Where else does this show up? Where do symptoms like this, where, what causes them? And go backwards to try and find the beginning. That's always, always a good thing to do. Usually what I see when people, dogs have a thing in their mouth, <clears throat> then, you know, then they've got all kinds of, you know, barbed wire, wrap your thing in barbed wire if they're hard mouth, do all these, these things going after the symptom. So mouth problems are best addressed, one, by preventing them if at all possible, two, but understanding where they might have started. So again, my opinion here, when you're training a dog, frankly, if you're training you or me too, but when you're training a dog, right, because we can't sit and talk like we're talking right now, you have to communicate. We're verbal. They're not. So we have to find other means of communicating. And sometimes we're very effective and sometimes not so much. So understand that dogs like us, you know, they have feelings about this. They have understanding. They have a level of desire. They have all this internal stuff, right? What they like to do, what they, how they think, how they feel. And so they have all this stuff inside. And when we start teaching them new things, particularly somewhat unnatural things, like carrying things in their mouth, whether they want to or not and all that, when we start doing that, it's like a sponge. They're like a sponge and they're, they're filled with their insides, you know, their emotions, their feelings, their thoughts, their level of desire, their motivation, all that. And when we start asking unnatural things of them, we start to squeeze a little bit, right? We're squeezing just a little bit because we're, we're, this isn't just a bunch of fun stuff. Now we're starting to draw lines in the sand and put rules in there. And so we're squeezing a little bit. So what happens when you squeeze the top of the sponge, right? Water kind of, depending on how hard you're squeezing, starts to drip out the bottom. Or if you start squeezing at the bottom of the sponge, water starts to drip and overflow out of the top because that's what has to happen. You are crunching down on the space for that, and so something happens. And with people and with dogs, it's that way. When somebody starts to crunch down on you a little bit in a way that you um, are uncomfortable, don't like, you know, didn't ask for, whatever that is, you have a reaction. And we all have different reactions, different ways of doing it. Sometimes anger, sometimes it's defeat, sometimes it's just numbness, sometimes it's total confusion. And it's that way with dogs too. So when we start squeezing down a little bit, like basic obedience, and then holding a bumper in their mouth, okay? We're squeezing down. Now, some dogs can take a lot of squeezing. 
and they're just fine. And other dogs can only take a little bit, and the water just goes squirting out, right? And everything in between. So when we do training things throughout the entire time we're training them, we got a little bit of this squeezing action going on. So sometimes when you're squeezing down on one part of something, something comes squirting out in another area. And it doesn't mean that wherever it came, wherever the water dripped out of that sponge is where the problem is. It just is where the symptom of the squeezing in another area is. I hope that makes sense. So, so many times, those kind of things are what happens. Well, it do, it's always that way. It's always that way. But you have to identify this phenomena that just because I'm squeezing over here on the left side and water is is squirting out the right side, we don't have a right side problem. We have a where you're squeezing on the left side problem. So I want to set that up in understanding dogs when we talk about this problem. The next thing is dogs, of course, can't sit there and go, hey, listen, George, I don't have a clue what we're doing. And frankly, I don't like you very much. So why, what is this happening? Can we just go out in the field? Right, they can't say that. They got to just sit there while you're doing your obedience or doing your hold that you're doing on the beginning of the force fetch, or at least teaching them that they got to hold and carry stuff and they can't, you know, drop it or set it down or otherwise do stuff with it. So you, we're, we're teaching them this stuff and it's unnatural. All of this is unnatural. Now, I know somebody's going, not for my dog. I put it in his mouth. He held it, did everything, and that's great. You know, that's awesome. In general, wild dogs do not just carry things around, never set them down, and deliver them to whoever asks. So it's not really a canine natural behavior. They carry stuff because they're going to bring it to a puppy or they're going to eat it or get it away from where it is right now. There's always a reason. We just say, just do it because. And, and so it's, it's an unnatural thing. And because dogs can't tell you, hey, I don't like this, I don't understand it, I don't know what's happening, then again, it, remember we're squeezing them a little bit and all that emotion and all that stuff inside is in there. And anxiety in dogs tends to come out in several places. One, it comes out in their digestive tract if they're upset or had a, something, you know, they can get uh, diarrhea or loose stools very often. People misdiagnose that as something else, but it's a stress-related thing very often. Stress-related. When they, when they have a, a, getting squeezed pretty hard, whether it's just the environment or the training or the other dogs around or whatever, a lot of times their anxiety can manifest in a, in a digestive thing. One place that it does very, very frequently is uh, in their mouth. So having force fetch, I don't know how many hundreds of dogs, you know, when, when they have anxiety, they can't, their mouth is, you know, the really most moving part of them, other than if they're running or something. When they're sitting still, the mouth is what they got. That's what can move. And when, when we're doing hold and all that, we're working with the mouth. But the mouth is, you know, dogs bite right? Not, not, not in this situation, but dogs bite when they're mad or frightened. You know, dogs bark when they're alarmed or mad or frightened or scared or whatever it is. They, so much is communicated and released through their mouth, including verbalization. 
So a lot of dog anxiety lives and exists and is vented or released or shown in their jaws. That's just the way that is. So dogs tell you a lot, particularly in when we're talking about hold and force fetch things where mouth problems can start or be seen or show up or something. So they, that's where dogs are, are releasing their thoughts and how they feel about what's happening, their reaction to it. I'm not sure they think it out, but they just have this, this uh, you know, primal reaction to what's going on. And it's a lot of times it's in their mouth. Matter of fact, always to a degree, it's in their mouth. So what happens is when dogs are showing some anxiety in their mouth, and say that they're just holding it. Some, when you're teaching them hold, they just hold their mouth wide open. So they can't get, I mean, it's just gonna fall out if you let go of it. So they'll do that. Or some do their, just clamp their jaw down, right? They just clamp. No, if I don't open this up, then you won't put that in there. And they clamp down real hard. So now we, we're going after that. Or they, they hold it and then just lower their head and then slowly release their jaw and try to drop it. They have all these ways of dealing with this a new expectation to which we're subjecting them. So they have this new thing. How we react to that is very often a key part of not having problems in the future or maybe creating problems in the future because we're squeezing the sponge over here and eventually it's going to start squirting out on another side, just not as fast. So if you are aware when you're doing these kind, this kind of work with these guys, just from the very beginning, so they're sitting there. You're, you're just teaching them hold, right? So you have them seated somewhere because you can't really teach them hold while you're trying to get them to sit or be in a spot or whatever. You've got to have them sitting somewhere, whether you just have them clipped right there or whatever, so that you can open their mouth and put the bumper in and then teach them that you have to hold. I have this, there's video of this on, on the Facebook page. I think with G, I showed a lot of that. She, she was real easy. She didn't appear to have too much anxiety over all that stuff. But so you, you open their jaw and you put it in. And if you go at this fairly, fairly gently, then we're not teaching them to respond anyway, but gently. Now they may choose to respond another way, but if you, if you clamp open that mouth and shove that bumper in, okay, we're using some pretty hard force and they will tend to respond in kind. So that's why when I do this, I like to be calm. I like to be just like it's just another day and nothing is gonna bother me. And just open that, uh, open the jaw up, put the bumper in, and then just hold it in there. Real, without any force, without any antagonism. Because I don't want them to think of it in any negative, antagonistic, forceful kind of way. Now, if they let you do it, great. Keep it that way and continue forward. But sometimes, and I'm not going to, this isn't a how to do hold thing, but just how to look at some of this stuff. So when you do that and you maintain your response to them is always reasonable and fair, then it, you're at least attempting to teach them that same kind of response back to you. If you get frustrated or mad and start being more forceful and kind of jamming stuff and all that, then you might be creating in a dog that's, that, that takes to this a little bit of a belligerent response. Like, like, hey, this is kind of a tug of war. This is a little bit of a fight between us. And you don't want to do that, okay? 
With some dogs, it wouldn't make any difference. They're going to be fine. With other dogs, you've just initiated a little bit of a tug-of-war and a kind of an a adversarial relationship in this holding mouth thing that you're never going to want. So as you progress through this whole program, their mouth is going to tell you so much. And by that I mean, you know, do, do they were good for two or three days, now they're clamping down. All right, so they're resisting for some reason. Not because they're jerks necessarily. Maybe they are. Maybe it is just a real kind of a jerk of a dog, which there are some. And so you've just run into that. And it's come out in the mouth by resisting, even letting you put that bumper in there. Other times, they're a little overwhelmed. You either went too fast, you asked too much, or you just didn't make it real clear what you were asking them to do. Or your emotions, your anxiety, particularly if you're new to this stuff and you haven't done it a lot, it's kind of hard to do because you really don't know what to expect. And so if you got some angst and some concern, that goes right through your hands, right into that dog's head and mouth. So that's another thing that can happen. If you get frustrated, if you get a little angry, if you just get bored or tired with it, all of that is translated from your hands into that dog. So just be aware of that. So a lot has been, has been started between you and this dog in this mouth on this activity that you really want to be the way that you ultimately want it to be. You don't want it, a bunch of stuff happening here. Maybe some, like I said, there's dogs that went, they're just, they're going to be fine. And there's other dogs that will not if you set up this belligerence and this adversarial thing. So going through this whole process paying attention to the muscle, the muscles, you know, are they clamping? Is this hard? Will they not let it in? And then what they like to do is not let it out, not let it out. Well, great. So then we get in there and we're just going to use the, the jaws of death or whatever it is, jaws of life, and just pry that mouth open and force that out and continue this adversarial thing. Can you get it out? Yes. Can you use leverage? Yes. On the on the bit teeth, a little bit back, and you, you squeeze down, you can just open it. But you don't have to do it like we're fighting. I just do it like they're just being the most agreeable, kind dogs, and this is so simple, and I just take it out. And I don't get riled up, and I don't get emotional. But a lot of times, that kind of stuff feeds into that mouth and those jaws. Even if the dog isn't thinking about it that way, they are reacting to the physical thing that's happening to them in the same physical way. And you can, if you do it with some habit, it can become a problem. And then rushing too far ahead on this whole hold and then fetch and all that stuff. Going, you know, trying to get to the end real quick because let's just get over this. Skipping a few steps. Whenever things are a little dicey on the whole process, and if you haven't done it already, you can read about it. I have videos out. There's a YouTube. Well, I don't like YouTube stuff, but there's there's good information out there on how what the whole process is. First, they have to know to sit and be still while you're doing this. Then they need to learn to hold and let go and hold and let go. And then they need to be able to move and do their basic obedience, holding and not dropping. And you do all of that with patience, not by letting them drop it, but by staying a step ahead of them and always keeping this in a non-adversarial way. And then you, you start the fetch thing where you teach them to reach for it. And again, 
here's where you just need to be aware. Let's keep the anxiety out of the mouth. Let's have it as much as we can in their head so they're thinking about reaching and we're not in an adversarial situation because that makes that mouth thing a big deal. The other thing that's not good while you're doing this is a lot of talking and a lot of repetition of a command. If once you're teaching hold, and I see this all the time, uh, you, the, once the dog learns hold, hold means it's in your mouth and you hold on to it till I take it, and you can do all your obedience and hold and they're not going to drop it, don't keep saying hold. That would be like me throughout this podcast going, now listen, I'm going to say something. Now listen, you are listening. It, I would be nagging the heck out of you. And it would be antagonistic if I kept saying that. You would, you'd go, I'm not going to listen to this. It's annoying. Same way. When your dog knows hold, you're done with hold. Don't have him come in going, hold, hold, hold. Because if you don't have hold, you don't have force fetch. So once you have hold, then you move on to the force fetch and the hold is done. You taught him. You just hold it. That's what you do. And you don't do it by telling them over and over and over again. Because when you do that, it's like, and I've said this in other podcasts, it's like if, if you had a toothache and every time I saw you, I went, how's that tooth? Is that tooth hurting? Is it hurting bad? Every time I saw you, right? Every time you see me, your tooth's going to start hurting. Because I just just bore down on that something fierce. When, when if you have a sore tooth, you really would rather be thinking about your vacation next month, not how your tooth feels. So when your dog knows to hold, all right, let's move on to more demand. So that holding becomes an automatic thing they do, and they don't have to be told over and over. So when I do hold on a dog, I... Once they kind of, I, I, they got it and I can take my hands away, I take my hands away immediately. If they want to drop it, go ahead. Because then I'm going to have my little teeth pinching consequence when I put it back in. Say, that's what happens when you drop it. Calm, not fighting, just going, that's what happens. Same way I raised my kids, never raised my voice. Just said, well, if you do that, this is what happens. And it wasn't too dramatic and nobody got all crazy. So, don't hold, 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 fetch, fetch, fetch. Don't do that because that's like the toothache thing. That's like me saying, listen, are you listening to me? I'm saying going to say something important right now, but make sure you're listening. It, it's never a good thing. It might make you feel like you're in control, but you're just nagging them and causing potentially some other problems. So anything that has to do with the mouth, we want to teach and move on to the next thing and not just harp on something that makes them think about that toothache all of the time. So that's real important. And as you progress through your force fetch thing, instead of skipping any steps, just kind of moving ahead. I know this from experience. <laughs> I feel very good saying it. When you skip a step or two, because they're just going to go ahead and get it off the ground. So we're all good. Okay, let's go. That's going to come back to haunt you. Because you never conditioned in that reaching for it and picking it up, reaching for it and picking it up, reaching for it and picking it up. Calmly, repetitively, without pressure, without nagging. So if you skip any of those steps because it kind of bumbling up or, the, you know, you're getting some anxiety, you know, regress, go back, start at something more simple, but don't skip steps. Because when you skip steps, there's a whole. The whole process is a whole process for a reason. It's not just a 
patchwork, uh, do whatever part of it works for you. It's important in their head that they understand every set of that sequence. So if you skip that, then whatever little part you skip, later on when your force fetch starts to be, uh, you know, setting it down or holding it by the very tip of their last tooth or whatever, and then you, now you start going after them with the big, you know, the whatever force you used on force fetch, that was never the problem. That was never the problem. The problem was ahead of that. And you never really got that really installed the way that you need to. So now when you come in with some kind of reinforcement that would have come later, you still got the big hole. And so stuff starts teetering a little bit. I don't know if that makes sense. If you've had that problem, it might. But sometimes, and again, I know that from experience. I learned all of this the hard way. Um, that's what happened. So your process needs to be as calm as possible. I say as non-antagonistic or adversarial as possible because all of that is, is, is a strength, determination-based, resistance-based kind of thing. And you don't want that when they are carrying a live pheasant. Right? We don't want anything like that at all because if they set it down, it's gone. Or they'll kill it, you know, or scrunch its bones all up before they ever get it to us. We don't want any of that. And so that's why we want them to go, oh, I'm holding on to this. It's wriggling all around, but I got to bring it to them. So many, many things we do uh, early on, like when you teach puppies to go get something, fling it at me, I'll fling it again. You know, and the mouth is a big kind of gnashy, uncontrolled thing. You can also, they can like that. Their, when all their anxiety comes out, it can come down and kind of chopping down. So they like that too. That's another way. When you do a lot of young dog work, whoo, crazy, crazy, grabbing the bumper. I know some people have told me they played tug of war, and after I got over my my uh, stroke, it's like, no, don't, don't do that. <laughs> There's nowhere you want that with a retriever. Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. Um, and so you know that everything is to be politely given to you, released very easily. Just by you taking it is enough. Not even because you used the right command. If I reach and take it, you need to give it to me. Like you did hundreds of times while we were doing the force fetch thing. And if you don't do that and they get wild and excited, that can get the real mouth thing. Now, I'm going to get getting long on this one. I'm going to do one more thing. And we're going to go back to the squeezing the sponge thing. So sometimes, and I don't know all the answers to this, and probably somebody listening knows more about some of the causes of this than I do, but back to you squeeze the sponge in one spot and stuff comes squirting out in another spot. A lot of times with certain kinds of dogs, when they have been subject to uh, some training pressure, some correction, some stuff, even some expectations, that they either didn't understand, were out of context, really, really out of, I mean, that's a big one right there. All of a sudden, you know, your dog had kind of a real relaxed life. Life was pretty good and stuff. And then you get with a serious training group and you drop the hammer just like everybody else, right? You're doing your dog just like everybody else, which had not been the relationship you had, which not had not been how you two interacted. But now you've gone and you've done that. Okay, we started squeezing part of that sponge quickly and unexpectedly and perhaps not really understood why did the rules all change what happened you know it was like this 
Now it's like this. Again, no context. And it's, I mean, like, it, ow, this is hard. You're doing all this stuff and making all these demands, and you haven't done this before, and, and what's up? And so they get anxiety over this, just like you would. Get anxiety. And so a lot of times that anxiety of just quickly upping the expectations and the demand and the things you're doing comes out in anxiety and they can't tell you what's happening. You know, they don't, they, they can't explain it. They just feel it and there's nothing else to do but just put it, keep it in their mouth. Hold, clamp that thing down. And yes, why do they always figure the last series of the, of the day and the last bird? They know exactly when that is, and that's the one most of them don't let go. It's like, okay, I know this is my last bird, so I keep it. And so, man, everybody gets real upset about that. And somewhere back further, that little thing got initiated. Just a little spark kind of just fell into the dry grass and just a little thing just started a little glowing deal and pretty soon it erupts into that kind of stuff many times it's that now when it is stuff like that it's not like you can just go fix that and I don't know there's probably dogs you can't once that phenomena is created you know and maybe there's somebody that knows how you always fix it and everybody I do not and I know with some dogs, people use excessive, very high pressure to basically put that fear in them so they quit doing it. And if you know what you're doing and the dog, that kind of thing works with the dog, you can do that. One, you got to really know what you're doing. And two, you've got to have the right dog. If it's not that combination, then a lot of, of times squeezing even harder makes the water squirt out even more and you really create a bad problem. I know specifically years ago on a real well-bred dog that I'd been training. And I remember one day I was running the dog on Marks. And uh, I can remember, I, I can't remember exactly, but it was like on the second or third bird of a, of a multiple. And the dog did something on the mark out there. I don't know if I was handling it or what, but I remember pushing the button on the collar. And knowing the minute I did that, that was not appropriate for whatever I can. I wish I could remember exactly what was going on. I just remember going, oh, no. And he yiped or something like that. And anyway, the gunner helped. He got the bird. And that was fine. And then we trained the whole rest of the season. You know, everything was fine. I'm not a heavy, heavy collar dog beater person. The rest of the season. And we were going for his grandmaster, multiple grandmaster stuff. And um, last bird of the day wouldn't let me have it. Just wouldn't let me have it. He's the nicest guy, easy force fed. Everything was good. Wouldn't let me have it. And he did that in, I don't know, three or four tests. And we had to just retire him. And he'd gone, somebody sent him to another pro and said, oh, it's her. She put way too much pressure on him. They never could get him to do it, uh, to not let go either. But I just, when I went that day at that test, when he did that and wouldn't let me have the bird, I went back to that one day, the year before or months before, whenever it was. When I put some pressure on a dog where it did not belong, it did not belong. And I knew at the time, I was like, that, uh-uh, that was a big mistake. And I, I still am convinced to this day that that's why that day that dog, I had squeezed very hard. It totally misunderstood. Just a major stupid mistake. And I had done that. And I, then we came over here, and it just kind of, here came the water squeezing out the other side. And he only did it last bird. He did it at AKC Masters. He did it at the Master and APLA. 
and I couldn't get all finish those things off. And I, I know it's because one day on that real sensitive, real smart, talented guy, you know, I just basically bopped him over the head with an anvil, and he never forgot it. And it just it squeezed out right there. So many times we don't even, you know, if I hadn't recalled that, that feeling that day, I would just really be going, what's wrong with this dog? Why is he doing this? He's never done this before. But it was some misunderstood pressure he'd had, um, you know, that uh, came dribbling out at some point. So many times it's that. So the answer, and I'll get going, we're 36 minutes here on this thing. The answer is be real mindful when you're training. Be patient. Be aware of the anxiety in the mouth. Be aware of this squeeze one part of the sponge and other stuff comes out. So just because you see some something doesn't mean that something is the problem. Because you might see water dripping out on the right side, but it's because somebody's squeezing like heck over on the left. So many, many mouth problems, if not almost all of them, come from some combination of this stuff. So it's, you don't have to be brilliant, but you do have to be aware and think ahead of time and realize that the mouth is, is, the, is the mouthpiece of this dog. It's where stuff, all their emotions and anxiety and everything. And because, you know, they smile too, and the happy comes out there. So be very aware of that in the, in the work that you do. And if you have a problem, you know, at least try to think back where you might have started. And I don't know if you can solve it, but you can never do it again. So that's today's. Uh, got it in on the right day. I hope everybody's doing well. Um, it's, uh, daylight savings, so it's it's uh, dark, dark, dark in, in the morning. Um, but I'm out there for sun with them. So I hope you all are doing well. G and I will be back soon, and I hope to have uh, all my stuff in the show notes, so if anybody wants to look at some of the materials, they are welcome to.